Wow! I do You're get sitting. excited about uh, some of this stuff. Last night, let me just tell you about, uh, talking about Blessed Assurance, let me just tell you about an event that happened last night that uh, you might not know about. But uh, last night down at South Campus, uh, actually at a venue, venue uh, 510 in Burleson, uh, we, all of us at Christ Chapel, put on an event referred to as Beast Feast. Now, Beast Feast was uh, down, down south. We were primarily down there to, to uh, beef up uh, the south campus or help them along as far as sharing the gospel and everything. Beast Feast, if you're not familiar with Beast Feast, it's a family event, uh, men, women, children. So we had quite a few kids there as well. It is a time of uh, uh, eating beast, primarily venison and uh, uh, venison. So they had some... Uh, pulled pork, uh, chicken. We did have some venison sausage and some venison backstrap and chili and things of that nature along with sides that were appropriate for that. And then there is a speaker. The speaker is primarily there to not only share stories about hunting and fishing and outdoorsy type things, but then also to share the gospel. The primary reason that we were there was to proclaim boldly the gospel about Jesus Christ. Our goal is to fill that room with hopefully 50% of the room being non-believers. That's our goal. Uh, so we want people, as we give them tickets, we pretty much look them in the eye and say, we don't want you here. We want you to bring an unbeliever friend with you. And so we are more interested in reaching out to those unbeliever friends that were there. So last night, and then we give away uh, prizes, door prizes at the end. So that's kind of one of the ways that we're able to attract some of those unbelievers is by giving away door prizes. And so last night, the big door prize was uh, a, an ATV, which was a uh, four-wheeler ATV, which was a uh, wonderful thing. Yeah, you can't come. We don't want you there <laughs> unless you bring an unbeliever. We do not want you there. Yeah, and then we had a couple of Satabria uh, 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 shotguns and things of that nature, plus hunting, hunting equipment, uh, fishing equipment. Uh, there was a kayak back there. There was a lot of coolers. And overall, we gave away like 91 different uh, door prizes. There were over 300 people there. Uh, I did not see all of the response cards uh, that came back, but at least I know personally of 10 people that placed their trust in Christ last night. So, um, and we had some other people that had, had uh, indicated some interest in, in that. The reason I say I want to give you an update is because we all participate in that event of making that, that possible of reaching those people for Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, thank you for your part. You know, Jesus is really going for your heart. He's really going for your heart. And one thing that I have really come to grips with here as I have been restudying the book of Matthew is just, just uh, how Jesus continues to go for our heart and wants our heart to be one of dependence. And, you know, I was thinking about it. It doesn't really take too long to really figure out where somebody's heart really lies. I mean, you sit down with them at breakfast or you sit down with them at lunch and you can kind of figure out relatively quickly what's really the main thing on their heart. Is it really a pursuit after God 
or is their heart really going after the next technological gizmo, or is that where, you know, where does their heart really lie? And we used to do that all the time with our children. We could discern their heart relatively easy. If you remember back, if you asked them, would you please take out the trash? You could discern their heart relatively quickly just by the way that they answered the question. You, you know, and they could, they could say the same words, but you could discern their heart. For example, if you said, would you please take out the trash? And they go, fine. <laughs> I can discern the heart. Versus, you know, will you take out the trash? And they go, fine. You know, you can, you can really begin to discern the heart relatively. Now, they said the same words, the same words, but you were just by the way and the attitude that they came across, you were able to discern what was really going on in the heart. Were they really compliant? Were they really demonstrating of a dependent attitude, willing attitude of service? Or were they really being somewhat defiant? I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it with my fist, you know, shaking, shaking right there in your face. And you can discern that relatively easy. Jesus continues to go for your heart. And specifically what he has been going through or going for through all of these lessons is a heart of dependence and trust upon him. Dependence and faith and trust. Walk in dependence and faith and trust in me. Not, as we saw before, not that self-reliant faith, i.e. that self-reliant faith of I can do it on my own, I can do it by myself, you know, that the, the rich young ruler type of heart where, you know, I, what, what must I do to be, you know, to e obtain eternal life? But that dependent trust, and we might be saying all the right stuff, we might be doing all the right things, but God's able to discern the heart. And last week we looked at the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And the parable of the landowner who hires various men during, throughout the day, but then at the end of the day, pays all of the men the same wage. And we looked at that parable of the workers hired at the beginning of the day, then began to grumble because now the people who had just worked one hour received the same wages as they who had worked the, the, the whole day. And the question then became as well, what was the problem? Well, we look at it as fairness, but God's able to discern the heart. And the problem really was, is the error was, is that the, the people who were serving at the beginning of the day, they were just serving for the wage. They were just serving for what they were going to receive. And Jesus, or the parable, the landowner, merely points out, hey, I didn't, did you know wrong? You received what you were doing. You, were, you received what you were going for. Whereas the ones who did it served for only one hour, we're trusting, really trusting in the grace of the employer to give what was, what was going to be fair. And they did not agree upon a, a wage at the beginning. They just trusted in the employer. They were doing it out of the attitude of their heart, trusting in the employer to be able to give what was ever fair for their, for their labor. And that was all in, in reaction to Peter's question of, of which should we, which implied that the 12 12 disciples would receive a greater reward because they had sacrificed so many. And, 
the disciples were not to think of heavenly reward in terms of getting in proportion to their sacrifice, but they were to think in terms of God's grace and serving out of the attitude of willingness rather than out of some attitude of earning or proportion. The parable really attitudes, you know, emphasizes motivation of the heart. See, God's really going for the heart. Where's your heart? You may be doing all the right stuff. You may be doing, doing all, serving all the right things. You might be doing all that, but where's your heart? Is your heart one out of dependence and trust upon God, or is your heart in earning some sort of reward or merit with, with God? There's a lot of motifs that are going on, the motif weaving between childlike faith and self-reliant faith, between the rich young ruler and salvation and sanctification with, with Peter. He talks about fruit. He talks about authority. But all the way weaving through this is where's your heart? Where's your heart? Dependence and trust and faith. Well, after this parable that we looked at last week in chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, Jesus then presents himself as king. He enters into Jerusalem in chapter 21, and we see the triumphal entry. And then he enters into the, the temple in verses 12 through 17 in chapter 21. But then towards verse 18 in chapter 21, the nation begins to reject the king's presentation. And it comes to a crescendo, really, in this parable that we're going to look at today in chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. The confrontation with the leaders really rises as Jesus enters. It really rises to this crescendo. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to look at this particular parable, because verse 43 has been argued by some as being a key verse in the entire argument of the book of Matthew. And when people start arguing that maybe this is a key verse in the entire book, it's one that's well worth our careful consideration. As you look at it and you say, well, what in the world's going on here that would have some commentators really arguing for this being a key verse for the entire book? So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, chapter, chapter 21. And we're going to look at the very end of chapter 21, beginning at verse 33. And once again, this is the crescendo, I think, of the confrontation that Jesus has with the religious leaders. And after this, Jesus really has laid down what's happening down the path, and he's headed for the cross. And as we head here towards the Easter season and the seven words from the cross, it all kind of parallels as to what's going on. So Jesus tells a story. This is after the parable of the two sons. His authority was challenged after he entered the temple, verse 23. But then he gets down to verse 33. And the leaders get it. They understand. But it's, it's a powerful powerful, powerful parable that oftentimes we just kind of slip by. 
when you realize what in the world Jesus is doing here. Verse 33, you see the landloader who rents out his vineyard after he builds it up. Listen to another parable. Jesus now confronting the religious leaders. It says, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a well press in it and built a tower and then rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now we look at that, but you'll notice in your text that probably they have that part of that verse highlighted or at least in uh, italics or highlighted with capital letters to show you that Jesus is quoting out of another part of scripture. Jesus is quoting primarily out of Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7 and where he's doing that he's really making the the connection between the landowner uh, which is God and the the landowner being God, and he, God's concern for the vineyard, the vine growers really represent at that point the Israel's leaders. So by making that connection back to Isaiah, he really makes that clear as to, hey, you guys are familiar with the law. Let me quote Isaiah for you, and I'm going to make some comparisons. And so he's not pulling any punches. He's, he's going for stuff they knew about, and he's going for stuff to make the connection really clear. God is the, 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 the landowner. The vine growers are you guys. I mean, the religious leaders of Israel at that particular time. Verses 34 through 36, the harvest time approached. The landowner sent some servants to collect his share, but the servants were beaten and even then killed by the vine growers. Notice what happens in verse 34. When the harvest time approached, he, the, the landowner, sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves, beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, second, larger than the first, and they did the same to them. Now, harvest time, obviously, is a harvest time where everybody's excited about harvest time. You want harvest time to come in. Slaves, uh, in the Greek here, is the word doulos, which is God's faithful servants. But he's making really an, a reference, as you can pick up, the reference between you know, Israel's leaders over a period of time had been killed and beaten by by, by the nation, the prophets. And so he's making a reference back to the prophets, 1 Kings chapter 18, 2 Chronicles chapter 24, Jeremiah chapter 20, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of where God had sent prophets, had sent servants, had sent people, yet the nation had continued to beat them up and even kill them. kind of sit there and you go, I wonder if those leaders really caught what was going on. Oh, yeah, I think they did. Oh, yeah. But then, verse 37 through 39, the landowner finally sends his son. Look at what happens, 37. But afterwards, the landowner, he sent his son to them saying, 
they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, seize in his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. All right, now let, let's, let me ask you a couple questions here. Does this seem a bit foolhardy to you? That the, that the landowner would send his son after he had sent his slaves? Now, slaves were not, were not, you know, just slaves. They were respected part of the family. So he wasn't, he wasn't sending, you know, just the, the servants. Usually slaves were given responsibilities within the family and were, were trusted individuals. And so the landowner wasn't just sending you know, lackeys here. He was sending people that were trusted in the, in, the, in the family. They had beaten them. They had killed them. And so he had seen this happen twice with a couple of his, his servants, trusted members of his family. And then he says, hey, I'm going to send my son. Does that seem a bit foolhardy to you? What do you think? I'm seeing some, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some, seeing, seeing some, yeah, oh, yeah, you know. Every once in a while, every once in a while, I, I uh, have the uh, thermometer. Have you ever, ever seen the thermometer? In the Cecil household, we would use the thermometer. We'd have the thesometer. The thesometer was, hey, you want to go to McDonald's? <laughs> you know, you, you want to go, you know, someplace else? Yeah, that was a phasometer. We'd also use the thermometer. Hey, you want to go to McDonald's? Thermometer, you know. You want to go someplace off? You know. You th- okay, we'll, we'll use the thermometer. So get your thermometer up. You know, uh, thermometer. Uh, was does this seem a bit foolhardy to you? How many? How, okay, we got we got we got some we got some thumbs kind of going up there. Got a couple down. Go ahead. We got a we got a couple in the in the middle. Message, all right. Right. You've really done it. Okay, so there's a message, a part of the parable. On the other hand, as people are leaving here, <laughs> let me let me give you one of the let me give you <laughs> let me give you one of the one of the main things about this is you just before you walk out the door, stop. <laughs> Think about as you're walking over, what does that say about God's heart? See, what does that say about God's heart? Now you can leave. <laughs> now you can leave. Because we're able to see the contrast between the way that we respond, the way that they respond, but we see the contrast with the way God responds. And God's concern for the people and God's concern for the nation becomes very, very evident as, as not only is he sending them a message of, hey, this is my son, but the heart of the Father 
the heart of the Father is, is beginning to show here as we make the, the vine, you know, the, the landowner, even though they've done that, his heart is, is still, I want to send my son. You're going to say something? Go ahead. Yeah, it seems to me that the heart of the Father is one more time giving them a chance to understand what's going on. This is a story of what is going to happen with Jesus. Yeah. Right in their face, in their language, talking about their nation, and they still don't get it. They, they yeah, they become, uh, towards the end here, they do. I think they do get it. They... Uh, come to the place where they realize that he was talking about them. Yeah. They don't, yeah. They don't, they don't catch God's heart. They don't catch with the thing. And in actuality, if you think like a Pharisee or a leader at that point, you, you know, you're not thinking down the road. We have the, we have the ability to be able to look back and be able to see that, hey, Jesus was using this not only as a history lesson for them, but also a prophetic message about him. And so, you know, there's a thing that we now should not project onto them what they, you know, would not know at that point. But Jesus was using this as a very effective teaching method of their history of what had happened time after time after time after time in their history. And recognizing, hey, you guys, you guys that are the, 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 the vine growers in the landowner's vineyard, this is what's happened. All right. You know, uh, it's also, verse 37, they sent his son saying, they will respect my son. You know, I'm not sure, and this is where you, you, know, you kind of look into it. I'm not sure they didn't reject Jesus because they didn't know who he was or who he said he was. But primarily because they refused to submit to his authority. And they refused to submit again, you know, to, to they, knew, they knew pretty much exactly what was happening here and who he claimed to be. But... The problem was, is, is they weren't going to respect his authority. And we're going to come back to that. Because you begin to see how in this, this parable, Jesus kind of brings out this, this heart. So verse 40 leads right into that. Jesus asked the chief priests and the Pharisees, what the landowner, what should the landowner do with the vine grower? <laughs> hey, Let's put this in your face here, guys. It's verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Wow. Hey, we've just gotten a history lesson here. What do you think the landowner, who we've pointed out early on as being God, what do you think God ought to do with those people? Interestingly enough, the response is that the landowner should bring those leaders to a miserable end and rent the vineyard out to someone who would pay them dividends. Look at what it says in verses 41. He says, well, they said to him, 
he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, miserable end, will rent out the vineyard to the other vine growers who will pay him what the proceeds at the proper season. In other words, God is going to turn over care of his vineyard to those who would bring forth fruit at the appropriate time. He's going to do away with them and turn over responsibility of his vineyard to somebody else. Well, okay, so, you know, he's really referring to the prophets and the apostles, the servants of God who would represent him. But now he's referring to those prophets and apostles and servants of God who would represent him after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus then applies this to the leaders of the nation and states that the kingdom of God is going to be given to others in verse 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? By the way, did you never read? Typically in scripture as you're looking through this, typically it refers to, to those scriptures that really pointed out to him and pointed to him. Did you never read? And Usually when he used that phrase, he was using, he was going back to scripture that really highlighted himself in this whole process. And so, you know, he, he goes back to chapter 12 and chapter 19 and chapter 21 and, and Mark chapter 12. And every time he uses those phrases, he's ready. He said, did you never read in the scriptures? And then he begins to quote from Psalm 118. He says, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone this came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, and here's now verse 43, which some would argue maybe is the key verse in the whole doggone book of Matthew. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. That, that just, I don't know, when I read that, it just takes your breath away of what Jesus is saying. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus changes the vineyard to a building in Psalm 118, and typically, it probably originally described Jesus, uh, David in the psalm. And so, you know, you, you take David, uh, God chose David, made him the cornerstone of the nation in that particular psalm. But now, similarly, in Jesus' day, he now begins to apply that to himself. Jesus was making really a very, very strong messianic claim when he applies that passage to himself. And so that would have not been overlooked by the Pharisees and the leaders. They would have gotten that immediately, that Jesus is, is now taking this passage and applying it to himself. It originally was referring to David, but now he is taking that the son of David is now coming into grips. He is the one who is making that claim 
whoa, wow. And now he says he's going to remove responsibility and privilege from them, the leaders, and give it to another nation, people group, people, ethne. Who are those, who are those people? Well, those, those are the people that would believe. It gets down to the heart. It gets down to the heart. I'm going to take it away from you that are shaking your fist through all of this history that I just unfolded for you, that you do the right things, but yet in your heart you continue to shake your fist at God. I'm going to take it away from you, even though you continue to do this stuff, your heart is not there. And I'm going to give it to the people who have a heart. The people who believe, who trust, who rely, who have faith in Where do you leave? In, in Saturday. This upcoming Saturday? Hello! Last week we blew the walls out. This week we're blowing the speakers out, you know. Well, verse 45 and 46, I want to get to a place where we're able to apply this. The chief priests and the Pharisees were enraged. and They wanted to kill Jesus, except they were afraid of the crowds because the crowds considered him to be a prophet. So when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, they understood what he was, that he was speaking about them. Ha <laughs> ha, you bet. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. This really reaches the crescendo of the confrontation between Jesus. Jesus makes, and the, and the leaders, he makes it very, very clear what's going to happen down the road. And he makes it very, very clear. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, they realized and they understood that he was speaking about them. There was no doubt as to what Jesus was saying, and he was saying it about, about them. They understood that. They got it. What was their response? Enraged, and they wanted to kill him. Which really was what? A demonstration of their heart. A demonstration of their heart. Their heart was not one of dependence upon him. Their heart was one of confrontation. By the way, the chapter 22 just kind of continues on in this, in this confrontation. The, the parable uh, in chapter 22 of the first really talks about Israel as a whole. He starts, talks with the leaders here in the Pharisees, and then it goes into, the, into the, the nation, really, and that confrontation really now just expands that concentric circle from the leaders now to the nation in the, in the first part. But here's where, here's where, here's where, Here's what I want to really focus in on. We have about 10 minutes here or so. The question is this. What's the takeaway? What do we, what do, we do to do with this? We have the parable. We have the confrontation. I've got some ideas, but I want to hear yours. What, what do we do with this? I mean, what's the takeaway? We see the scriptures, we've 
talked about it. We've read it. We've done some, we've done some, you know, interpretation, observation, interpretation. Now let's get to the application here. What's what's the takeaway? What do we do? Yes, Howard. First of all, I think we rejoice that we're part of the uh, believers who uh, receive the benefit. Okay. Shouldn't we also not be worried about those that are, you know, getting the full benefit? I'm sorry, run that by me again. Shouldn't we not worry about those that are, that, you know, they're getting the full benefit of working just half the time or, you know, whatever. We shouldn't be worried about that. We shouldn't be worried about that. Okay. Yeah, because salvation is brought on. Okay, all right. I mean, because they are saved, isn't that the, the point? Okay, all right. Okay. Okay, all right. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Now it's getting a little bit closer, isn't it? Yes, yes, ma'am. Okay, where's your heart, all right? Yes. It's also a, a danger um, when we retain the fruit for ourselves. I think that's what the, the master of the vineyard wanted, the fruit. And the leaders took the fruit for themselves. And I think that's a scary thing when the church gets to that point where we don't give God the glory, give him the fruit of what he is doing. Yeah, and that takes us back to the, the, one of the questions uh, that Peter was, Peter was talking about when he was saying the reward, doesn't it? You kind of begin to see some of these motifs. I mentioned some of the motifs kind of weaving together here. Peter, in the previous uh, encounter, was really saying, hey, am I going to get a greater reward here because I've sacrificed more? And Jesus really, at that point, tells the parable, and he talks about your heart, the attitude of the heart. As to what, you know, you think you're going to be getting more because you're doing more, but I'm able to see your more. Now he comes to the Pharisees, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Who's, who, who's really going to get the, the glory for, for the, the, the labor? Who's going to get the, the glory and the reward for that? Yes, ma'am. You may be going to go there, and I don't want to get ahead of you. But That's okay. I'll tell I, you. I would under, like to understand better verse 44, because it sounds like no matter which side of the stone you're on, it's not a good thing. You know, if you fall on the stone, you're broken to pieces. But if you're under the stone... You're crushed. So, you know, I would be interested in some more comments on that particular verse. Well, yeah, the capstone obviously was the capstone that could and did become a, a, a stumbling block to many. You know, many Jews, I think, similarly kind of tripped over Jesus' identity at which case they plunge to their destruction. 
Jesus is a dangerous person. I, you know, that, that's really, really where it is. I mean, there are going to be some that, you know, could fall on someone below and crush, crush him or though, the, you know, in judgment. There are some that are going to trust, trip over his identity and trip over what, what he's doing. And you realize, hey, Jesus is, is he's the cornerstone that he's making that, comparison there and you know it's not just not just flowers and things of that nature you're going to have to deal with this person you're going to you know what are you going to do with Jesus I mean how are you going to respond to him uh, he yeah he's he's a controversial figure I mean you're going to have to do something with with this guy yeah Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Who, you know, of course we know that uh, Peter and the disciples figured out who Jesus was, the Son of God. Who did the Pharisees really think Jesus was? Just the carpenter's son or, and, and that was it? I mean, they didn't really think that they could steal the grapes away from God, the landowner, did they? Well, they, they seem to get what he was claiming. But here's, the, here's one of the questions. What, what, did the, what did the leaders really care about? Power. Power, control. Power and control. I'll let that sink in there for a second. What were the leaders really caring about? They were caring about power and control. I don't know about you, but that, that hits home with the attitude of our heart. You know, when, it, when they say in verse 38, let us seize his inheritance. Let us take his inheritance. Let us seize it. That has everything to do with power. That has everything to do with control. And it gets back to the attitude of your heart. Where's your heart? They rejected the truth. And it's at, at that point, they basically believed what they wanted to believe. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew that he was claiming to be Messiah. But it got down to the attitude of their heart and power and control. Yeah, go ahead. The Jews rejected Christ, and as the result, God raised up Saul of Tarsus and then later became Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So those who follow Christ are spiritual Jews. Um, and he's opened the door for Gentiles to become the ones promised with the gospel. 
yeah, we could we could make this into and you know the church, which would include all of that. The the word that's being used in this particular parable is those believing crowd, which would include both Jew and Gentile down the road. And we're able to look back and be able to to see that. I think the main point, though, that you know, yeah, you got to follow up here. I think that uh, the stone could reference Daniel the second chapter that that uh, the stone came and crushed. And who falls on the stone will be broken, but who then allows the stone to fall on them will be crushed. Reference to Daniel, the sure. second chapter. Sure. And, you know, just the stumbling, stumbling block that's there. One more, and then I'm going to move on. I just wonder. I'm thinking about what Jan, the question that she put out there, and I've thought about that a long time. And I just wonder if the ones who stumble over the stone, they knew they had the head-on confrontation with Jesus, and they stumbled. The ones that were crushed were the ones that were just nonchalant. They never gave him a head nod or any time or anything. And in their stupidity, they were crushed by the stone. I don't know, but that just sort of makes sense. Sure. I, I think you're, yeah, there, Jesus can be a real stumbling block to all of us. And, it can, and he can be a real stumbling block to all of us when it comes to our pride and comes to our heart, the attitude of our heart. Is it going to be a self-reliant faith or is it going to be a childlike faith and dependence upon him? And once again, he's going back for the heart. And you say, well, you know, how, do, how does this work out? You know, let me just give you a couple of examples to maybe think about. You know, Jesus says in John chapter 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Taking some of those one another passages, are we, are we reading over those one another passages and reading them over and just going, yeah, I get it. Maybe even going through the motions. Or is it really flowing from the attitude of our heart? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, he says in Matthew chapter 28. Is our reward in doing it or is our reward in, out of the attitude of our love and compassion, the heart of God that we see here in this particular passage of willing to sacrifice even his own son after seeing the, the attitude of the heart just because of his love, willing to go that, that mile and reach out. Psalm 105, 1 in the New, Amer New International says, give, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Really, really has to do with the attitude of your heart. I just, you know, looked up some of the one another passages, love one another, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves in Romans chapter 12. Build up one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another in Romans 15. Accept one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth. Be kind and compassionate to one another in Ephesians chapter 4. Submit to one another 
Consider others better than yourselves in Philippians. Look to the interest. Bear with one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Stir up one another to love and good works in Hebrews 12. Show hospitality. Pray for one another. I mean, all those one another passages that are there, you know, that we just sometimes pass by, and sometimes we're engaged in even doing things. But what's the attitude of our heart? Is our heart just taking out the trash? Sure. Fine. Or is it flowing from the attitude that God would demonstrate towards us in sending his own son to die for us and allowing that to flow from us and through us to be able to reach out to others. God's concerned about the heart. Just the actions, but the attitude of the heart. What's the remedy? Well, the remedy is obedience to Scripture and childlike faith and dependence with the right heart. That's the remedy. Great passage. You're able to see the contrast really very clear of the rejection of the nation and the leaders of the nation and Jesus. From here, they knew exactly what was happening. The leaders. Power, their power, their control, their personal power was being challenged and the attitude of their heart was one of defiance. Jesus was going to the cross out of his love primarily for you. Whoa. Whoa. Father, thank you for the reality of your word. Thank you for just the lessons that are embedded within your word for us. Father, may we continue to see the contrast. May we continue to evaluate our own heart and our own response towards you. That many times we see our own pride, we see our own desire for control and power and all of those other things come out rather than simply being dependent upon you in faith, trust, to walk with you, to allow your Holy Spirit to work through us to be able to minister to others around us. Not thinking about the reward, but only responding to the great love that you showed to us through Jesus Christ. Father, mold us, shape us, conform us to his image. May we step out of the way. May he be allowed to shine so that by this all people will know that you, that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that we are able to rest in the stability and the the firmness of that foundation that was built. 
May we continue to stand upon him, for we pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. See you next week.